This episode is brought to you by Been Verified. Help chip away at the uncertainty that comes with online dating and use binverified.com, a leading platform for online background searches and people search reports. With their powerful search tools and extensive database, you could easily gather information about potential dates, which may help you find peace of mind before taking that next step. You can never be too safe when it comes to dating. Get 20% off today to help take control of your dating game. Visit binverified.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. Give the active people in your life something they'll truly appreciate. Performance apparel from Viore. Whether they're into running, surfing, hiking, or even just casual walks around the block, there's something for everyone. And if you're not sure what to gift them, you can't go wrong with something from Viore's Dream Knit Collection. It's the perfect gift and so comfortable. Get 20% off your first purchase today at Viore. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Spotify. Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Malcolm the Second! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hola! And uh, welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the kings and queens of Scots, from Kenneth McAlpin to James VI. Now, Ali, you were listening to headphones on your way in. I assume that's because you were researching the previous episodes, so you don't need any refresh at this point. How dare you suggest I'd undermine (laughs) our roles here by doing ever any research at all? I was listening to The Wall. Of course. Well, let's have a little recap of The World of Scotland uh, prior to Malcolm II coming to the throne. Okay. Some backgroundy stuff. Lovely. Right at the start, uh, Kenneth MacAlpin in the 840s mm. kicks off the Alpin dynasty that now rules Scotland. Yes. So he sort of begins the process of creating the nation that does become Scotland. Yes. But there's a problem. Yeah. Their system of succession, rather than going from father to son, oh, goes yeah. brother to brother. Mm. Which is fine at the start, because it means that they always have an adult male ready to lead the army in a mm. time of war, which is all the time in Scotland in mm. the 9th and 10th centuries. Yeah. But as the Scots get more successful, and the king's rule for a bit longer, the family tree starts expanding. Mm. So yeah. rather than brother to brother, it's sort of from third cousin to third cousin. Kenneth II came along, ruled pretty well, got rid of his rivals, yeah. and was quite stable until he decided to get rid of this alternating succession and make it primogeniture. Oh, yes. yeah. So it would pass to his son, Malcolm. Yes. This okay. Malcolm, Malcolm yeah. II. But, of course, the other people in the family who are going to be ruled out of the succession now aren't very happy about it. No. So Kenneth got murdered. Constantine III came in. Yeah. He got murdered. Rubbish. Kenneth III came in. Yeah. And then he fought with Malcolm. Big old battle. Kenneth III is dead. Yeah. Malcolm becomes Malcolm II. Easy peasy. Now, Malcolm's... Uh, uh, forebear of the name Malk. Malcolm the First. He was which colour team? Yes, so we instituted this thing of uh, team colours to Mm. make it a bit easier to see. So we had the descendants of Kenneth McAlpin's first son, Constantine the First, a team blue. Yeah. So we had Malcolm the First, Kenneth the Second and Duff were team blue. Yeah. So Malcolm this week is a team blue man. But is he, is he, so he is back to team blue, he's not purple. No, he's proper team blue. So when Duff had a son, Kenneth the third, we made him team purple. Okay, right. So Malcolm is uh, team blue and on the other side we had team red but they've been extinguished. Team red are done. He may have been born as early as 954. Hmm. 
So, in fact, he comes to the throne in 1005, so that makes him almost 50 at the point at which he becomes king. Right. Now, most of our kings have been dead by the time they've been 50, so Malcolm seemingly is kind of pushing it yeah. a little bit. So he's potentially quite an old gentleman. Yes. Let's see if that is reflected on the Heritage Playing Cards Limited artistic interpretation of Malcolm II. How does he look on the card? Now. What are you expecting what him to am look I expecting? like? I am picturing... Now, I don't want to give too much away here, but mm. an older gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, Grey of hair, yeah. full of beard, mm. man of tartan and sword. Mm. And blue. Blue. Well, let's have a look. Okay. To keep the team colours. Okay. Oh, oh, oh! And I swear I never see these. An older gentleman, grey of hair, full of beard, no sword. Okay, so it's falling apart here. Big green cloak, but he does have a blue tunic on. Um, I'm going the elder statesman look there. He's got a scroll. Mm-hmm. He's going to do lots of lore. Uh, well, we do, for the first time ever, have a source which gives him a description. Brilliant. Uh, unfortunately, it's John of Forden, who, as yes. we know, is not always the most accurate <laughs> of chroniclers. He says that uh, Malcolm was distinguished for his stalwart and shapely figure. Yeah, I'd agree. Hmm. He looks quite a solid. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, you wouldn't push him over in a, in a stiff breeze, would you? <laughs> Indeed. He's, um, yeah, no, I'd, I'd, he looks like a... Um, a, a dependable character, mm. I'd say. Old but not weak. Yeah, exactly. Mm. His epithet is Foranach, mm. or the Destroyer. Oh, yes. Now, again, <laughs> I'm putting my money on... I don't have anything to gamble with here. Your pen. <laughs> I'll okay. bet that yeah. on him being a retrospective winner. Well, let's find out. So, as we said, in terms of him coming to the throne, it was actually a bit of an ordeal. Right, yeah. Because Kenneth II had made this law that from now on it would go father to son. Sense. So Malcolm should have thus inherited when his father died. Yeah. And as he's, you know, a, already a, definitely an adult by this point, mm. he should have been quite ready to do so as well. Yeah. However, he was in Cumbria when his father was assassinated. Which is a problem with Bland. Which is a bit of a problem because he wasn't actually near where all the action was going on. Mm. So Constantine III was able to get in there take the throne and become king mm. before Malcolm could yeah. actually get there and say, oi, it's my turn. Yeah. Now, before Malcolm could even get his pants on and tie shoelaces, Constantine III has been bumped off. Good. He was rubbish. That's good. But somebody else has come in as well, which is Kenneth III. Oh, yeah. So we have this sort of eight-year civil war where Malcolm is fighting against uh, Kenneth III. Kenneth III is fighting back. Lots of little nasty... Mm fighting, which is a bit horrible for everybody. But eventually, Malcolm challenges Kenneth to have a big old fight. They go to uh, Monsivere, have a showdown, Kenneth is defeated, Malcolm is victorious, and he becomes king. Now, Ten years after he was meant to have become yeah. king in the first place. And we had two kings in the meantime. Yeah. Now, he becomes king of Scotland, and in terms of his generation, there doesn't seem to be anybody immediately challenging him for the throne. No. So he instead focuses his ambitions further south. Uh-oh, trouble. Further south to England, mm. Northumbria. But that's the grey area. It is the grey area. Yeah. So if you remember in previous reigns, um, Lothian, mm. which today is sort of is south of the Firth of Forth and Edinburgh is kind of its capital, that sort of area was initially part of an English kingdom called Benicia. Yes, we've which stumbled was, on that. Which we? is the top bit of Northumbria. Yeah. 
So initially that used to be Saxon, now it's become Scottish. And Malcolm thinks, oh, why don't we just move that border a little bit further down? Yeah, that was that was the buffer that was sort of agreed could be a bit Scottish. Yes, so now we're looking at what is, would today actually be English. So we're right. sort of talking Bamber and mm. Durham, that sort, of, okay. that sort of area. Your old ground. My old ground, indeed. Since Edgar died in 975, things have gone downhill for the Saxons. Well, that's not very good from Edgar, is it? Ethelred the Unready becomes king. He sounds prepared. Indeed. And his problem is that from the 990s and the sort of Battle of Molden in 991, we've got the Vikings making regular, incursive, mm. strong raids that mm. turn into invasion. So mm. every year the Scots, uh, the English are paying the Danegeld, which is a tax basically to make the Vikings go away yeah, yeah. until obviously they come back because they think, oh, get some more. Bees, jam, exactly. all that business. So he's taking advantage of, of distraction. Exactly. Good idea. Furthermore, the person who's actually in charge of this territory of Benicia at the moment is an old man called Waltheof, and he's the son-in-law of uh, the Bishop of Durham, Eldon. Okay. So he's seen as a bit of a soft target. Ethelred isn't going to be able to worry about it. Yeah. Squids in. Yeah, easy. So, down he trots. He goes beyond Bamber, right. where there's a lovely castle. There is a lovely day. It's a lovely day out, that is. And he moves all the way down to Durham. Right. Now, Durham is actually pretty much a brand new city at this point. Oh, OK. Castle it- yet? Uh, well, no, no stone one. No, no, but well, it's it's founded in nine nine five. So and this what? is only like ten years or so okay. ago. Um, it was founded when the remains of uh, the Saint Saint Cuthbert were transferred from Chester Street. It's also in the northeast, and apparently it got to a point where his bones refused to move. <laughs> they couldn't push the cart. <laughs> Lazy bones. Lazy bones. <laughs> so he appears in a dream to Bishop uh, Eldon. I'm knackered. I've, I haven't even got any skin. Okay, well, mate. Yeah. I want to go to be buried on Dunholm. Oh. And the bishop was like, "Ah, oh, there we go." And they can push him around, but they don't know where it is. Yeah. So they stopped a. Uh, they found a milkmaid. She'll know. Well, yeah, so they said, oh, you got any idea where this is? And the milkmaid was looking for her dun cow. Ah, oh, there we go, they follow her. And then, boom, this is where we'll bury him. And they start building. God, that's pretty tenuous, isn't it? That's... I mean, actually, I didn't know it was that new a, a city. It's all, it's very old if you go there now. Should, there's got to be an easier way than <laughs> bones refusing to move. Having a dream, not knowing where that place in this made-up dream was, and following a cow. who's lost her cow. (laughs) Yeah. I don't make my decisions based on things like that. The upshot is that St Cuthbert was this very important saint at the time, for all of England, particularly in the north, in this territory. Mm. And so his bones go to Durham, that means that Durham is thus this new kind of centre that everything goes around. So Malcolm thinks, ah, never mind Bamber, I'll go to Durham. Yeah, Cuthbert's bones. Exactly. So 1006, just a year into his reign, he besieges Durham. Unfortunately, Waltheof has a rather more energetic son called Uhtred. He leads the defences rather than his father and is victorious. So Malcolm suffers a rather ignominious defeat. Oh dear. It's also back to Scotland. However, Ethelred the enemy is so rubbish that he gets kicked off the throne. And dies. And dies. We have a little bit of toing and froing, but then in 1016, the Viking Canute conquers England. Okay, there he is. And Uhtred is killed by Canute. Oh, right, so it's freeing it up a bit. Frees it up a little bit. The new guy who comes in apparently isn't so good, so Malcolm comes back down again, has another little battle, this time at Carham, which is on the Tweed, so sort of west of Bamber but north of Durham, and this time, in battle, 
big victory for Malcolm. Okay, so he's back to neutral pegging for me now. Well done, Mr. Destroyer. Exactly. However, we have introduced there an important name, namely Canute. With the Vikings, we had Sven Forkbeard initially. Brilliant. Sort of king of Denmark, uh, the son of Harold Bluetooth, who of course gave us yes. the Bluetooth. Um, he was launching these increasingly devastating raids on England until eventually in 1013 he thought, you know what, it would be easier if I'm just king rather than having to go away and come back. <laughs> yeah, if I just stay here. Yeah, you know, take all the money. I mean, the very tickets alone, yeah. it's me. He becomes king in 1013, forces Ethelred into exile, but then he dies a few months later. Rubbish. When he's scared to death by the saint. Yes, incredible. Yeah. So Ethelred came back, but then died in 1016 and then we had Edmund Ironside the son of Ethelred fighting Canute the son of Sven Forkbeard so basically a few months of campaigning of Edmund Ironside against Canute they kind of come to a draw but when they agree to share the kingdom Edmund Ironside then gets a spike up his bottom while sat on the toilet oh yeah of course there we go and Canute becomes king of all England uh, but that's not all. Canute rules a North Sea empire, and he's absolutely the most powerful figure of the age in Europe. So he's got England, Denmark, Norway, and part of Sweden. He is totally the boss. And he's not going to be very happy when Malcolm, a couple of years after Canute's conquered England, starts encroaching on his territory in the North East. Silly Malcolm. So, fair enough when there's a power vacuum, but when you've got the Canute on the case... Well, I suppose in 1018 there still was a bit of a vacuum, but he wanted to secure... Denmark and needed to try and get Norway, so he was quite busy mm. ruling his empire and bringing it all to heel. Okay. However, it's obviously on his mind, so perhaps Canute is cross about this and is just waiting for the right opportunity to do something about it. Or perhaps Malcolm is still pushing his luck and trying to invade again, lots of little border encroachers. Maybe Canute thinks, you know what, I'm going to keep on pushing with this empire, let's take Scotland. Yeah. Right. But what we do know is that sometime 10.31, 10.32, it seems like some form of conflict takes place. Canute marches up to Scotland with an army. So we don't know if it was a response or him thinking, I like I like this land business, yes. I like a bit more of yeah. it. They're not making it anymore, it's so not getting any cheaper. Yeah. Okay. So up he goes. Now, some sources suggest that Canute overwhelms Malcolm. Canute, okay, yeah. Others suggest that Malcolm resisted it and forced him to come to terms. Right. Alternatively, and probably more likely, Canute did come with an army, but never really wanted to fight. He just wanted to force Malcolm to come to terms and stop pestering him. So we don't know what happened. At the border. They're said to have been persuaded to negotiate by their bishops. Mm. So they were effectively lined up for battle, and then the bishops go, hang on, hang on, hang on, guys. Yeah. Why don't we talk about it? Well, it's very grown up and boring of them. It is, and it's also something we see a few times. I think that Henry II and Stephen had this as well, that they were ready for battle and then were persuaded to come to a treaty. So I don't know if this is almost yes. a, a, of a device that the king's like, oh, no, but I really wanted to fight. Well, I mean, you can fight if you want. No, 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 you yeah. think it should be peace. Let's, yeah, let's have a... but it's a way of showing that you're willing to go toe-to-toe. Mm. But now I have done a bit of research by Ooh. watching uh, Braveheart. Yes, okay. no, we're not up to there yet. But, yeah. You know, it's got Edward in it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they so they, there's that last moment where they can have terms in the mm. middle of the field. Yeah. And um, old Mel show tells them what for. Yeah. But I presume that was the moment when they had they had a little say. Exactly. Little chat. And the bishops persuade them to negotiate, and they do. We don't know the exact terms, but probably it would be along the lines of similar peace treaties between the kings of Scotland and England. Mm. Namely, that Malcolm probably agreed to acknowledge Canute and stop bothering him on the border. Mm. But Canute would have acknowledged Lothian 
as being Scottish. Lothian? Yes. That's stuff he already had, though. It is the stuff he already had. But then Edgar kind of acknowledged the stuff that technically they already had. So it may be is still that potential to be disputed, and Canute says, fine, you have that, but don't come any further. Okay, and also for Malcolm, he's gone toe-to-toe with the most powerful man and got uh, borders drawn firmly. Okay, so it's a bit of a victory. Um, And it's also suggested that as part of this ceremony, which again we saw with Athelstan and Constantine II, that Canute um, stands as godfather in the baptism of Malcolm II's son. So they're best buds. Best buds. So it's again a way of Canute obviously showing his superiority that he is the, you know, the godfather. Mm. Mm. Um, but the godfather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but equally that you know there's an agreement. They're on terms. Now some suggest- uh, sources also claim that there were three Scottish kings present here. Oh, not again. And it wasn't just Malcolm. So we also have a chap called Ekmac, who's king of the Rins of Galloway in the Isles, mm. and also the ruler of Moray, not Moray, the ruler of Murray. Oh yeah. Of course. Macbeth. He's making an appearance, is he? Mm. So he wasn't king? Well, we will come to the question of Macbeth and the status of Murray. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we need to ask about. But the first one is about Canute and the baptism of Malcolm's son. Yeah. Oh, so there's a problem with this. Is it going to be like that coronation with the horse going backwards? No. Oh, <laughs> I miss those days. The problem is that this is the only mention in any source we have of Malcolm having a son. Oh. So either this is nonsense and it doesn't happen, or the son dies not very long afterwards. Now, spoiler alert, he doesn't yeah. do too well on Dynasty. Well, he does have daughters, but obviously... We know from our Henry VIII mm. that you don't want daughters. No, daughter and particularly if you're in medieval Scotland, when it's all fighty, 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 yeah. he's not about to pass the throne to one of his daughters. None of them are called Merida. Okay. Now, this is all quite ironic, because given that the whole trouble of the ten years preceding Malcolm coming to the throne was based on the fact that Kenneth II had changed the law so that yeah. his son could become king. A bit more timing. He finally gets it, and then he doesn't have any sons. No. And this is actually the exact scenario for which the alternative <laughs> succession works perfectly, because it's like, well, we've got loads of people yeah. who yeah. could be king. Kenneth would be turning in his grave. He absolutely would. So now Malcolm's got this issue of who is going to become king next. Which means we have to turn back to our family trees. Now strap in, because there are going to be names, and it's going to require some explaining. Are these going to... Sorry. Just... Are these going to be available on the old webby? There will be uh, all of these will be available um, for the Malcolm II blog and rexfactor.wordpress.com. Okay, because if you if you listen to this, and you're thinking, hold on, I've strapped in, but I need <laughs> yeah. my um, my uh, map. Yes, have a look online; yeah. it will be there, and you can follow it as we talk through it. So we've got Kenneth McAlpin at the top, mm-hmm. Malcolm the first, who mm-hmm. is the father of Duff of Team Purple and Kenneth II, Team Blue. So, Kenneth II has apparently three sons. Yeah. We've got Malcolm II. Oh, man. I don't know how to pronounce his Botty. name. It's, a, it's spelt Boiter. I think it's a Scottish version of Boethius. Can we call him Botty? Let's call him Botty. Okay. And Dungle. Brilliant. <laughs> yes, now we're talking. Botty and Dungle. For Team Purple, we had yeah. Duff, his son Kenneth III, and then yeah. Kenneth III has three sons. Yeah. Grim. We know about. Botty, brilliant, and Gilcomgain. Okay. Now, you'll notice that in both cases we've got a second son called Botty. Botty. <laughs> <laughs> Great apologies to the Scottish listeners. <laughs> <laughs> called Botty. It's not entirely clear 
to whom Botty actually belongs because the sources <laughs> say Boita, son of Kenneth. Yeah. And there are two Kenneths. There's a Kenneth II and a Kenneth III. So we don't oh, know well, yes, if both it's the Kenneth. son of Kenneth II, the son of Kenneth III. That is tricky. Now, Grimm was the one that we weren't sure if he was actually Kenneth III. But Grimm, we presume, died along with, with, in battle, yeah. along with Kenneth III in 1005. Dungal is killed in 999. So that's before Malcolm II mm. becomes king. Apparently by this Gilcom game. Okay, you really, if you're listening to this, <laughs> you really need to log on and have a look at this as you're going through. Now, in the way that the events pan out, I think it makes more sense if Boita is of Team Purple, i.e. an enemy of Malcolm II. Right. That makes more sense. So we are going to assume that in terms of the people that are left, for Team Blue, Malcolm's brothers are either dead and or not entirely existent. We'll pretend they're monks. They're just monks. They're not yeah. there. So we've only actually got as options for male Alpins, mm -hmm. Team Purple. Um, so we've got Boyser and this Gilcom game. Okay. So for Malcolm to have to utilise the alternative succession, he's got to go to his old enemy, son of the man that he killed. Tricky. It is tricky. Imagine that chat. That's an awkward, <laughs> yeah. awkward chat. But Malcolm decides that actually he's not going to bother with this at all, and he's going to do something different. Mm, sounds successful. He's got daughters, so he thinks, I'm just going to marry them off, they will produce sons, and I can give the throne to my grandson, rather than my enemy's sons. It is formalised and acceptable pimping out, isn't it? Yes. There's no getting around it. He is just, he is whoring them out, I'm afraid, for one purpose. So, his eldest daughter, Betok, he marries to the lay abbot of Dunkeld, a man called Crenam. An abbot? A lay abbot, oh, right, so yeah. he's sort of a, the title, so he's kind of got secular and spiritual control, but he's not a priest, okay. basically, he's a proper... So animal. the secular side of him is allowed to... Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> um, he's a powerful figure, head of the Atoll household, and as required, they have a son who's called Duncan. Easy. Easy. Now, he has a second daughter, we think called Donata, and she is married off to Jarl Sigurd the Stout... Uh -huh. And he is the Earl of Orkney, who then also annexes Caithness and Sutherland, which is sort of the regions right at the very, very top of Scotland. Okay. So he's this Viking ruler who's oh. got Scottish, Scottish islands, top, northern bit of the mainland, mm. maybe pressing down, which could be a threat. Yeah. So, so marry, marry into him. Marry yeah. into him. They have a son uh, who's called Thorfinn the Mighty. Brilliant. They're really good at names in this period, aren't they? And he decides that he will nominate his eldest son, Duncan, to be his successor of King of Scots. Okay, now is this Duncan the Duncan... It is the Duncan of... Macbeth. Macbeth. Right. Mm. Meanwhile, when Sigurd dies in 1014, um, Malcolm pushes for Thorfinn, his grandson, to succeed him as Earl, mm. which he does. So he's thus got Duncan ready to be King of Scots, and he's got his other grandson, Thorfinn, who's going to be ruling the Viking bits in the north. Mm, okay. So he's got two people, pretty powerful, ready to take over. But Botty and Gillick, Gilcrick, what is it? Gilcomgain. Gilcomgain aren't going to be happy. They're not going to be happy about it. Now, it's possible that Malcolm has a third daughter. Mm. Now, this isn't entirely clear whether he has a third daughter, whether his second daughter remarries, or if none of this actually happens. <laughs> but Donata remarrying, or Olive, yeah. potentially... Marries the ruler of a territory called Murray. The ruler being a chap called Finley, 
who's the Thane of Glam's, ruling the territory Murray, uh, Murray, and their son is Macbeth. Right. Which would technically make Macbeth the third grandson of Malcolm II. I mean, but Murray, what is this kind of thing? Yeah, what's, what's going territory? on? We've mentioned it a few times before, but we've never quite addressed it. In terms of its territory, it's there is a Murray that's around today, yeah. but the medieval version is much larger. So the territory is sort of stretching from kind of central east coast, so sort of Aberdeenshire right. area, so that kind of the big central... Big bold on the right. Bit, yeah. All the way across to sort of Loch Alsh on the west, north to Ross which is sort of below the very, very top bit, but still mm. quite far north. Now, what we're not sure about is, is it what was called a Mormodom? So it's like an earldom, i.e. it's got a ruler, used to be a kingdom, but now it's sort of like a sub-kingdom. Okay. Or it's under the thumb of the King of Scots, but it's still kind of running its own okay. rules and laws. And Massive sort of decentralisation. Yes. Right. Lots of devolution going yeah. on. Is it that? Or is it actually a separate kingdom? So it's not actually... Uh, Malcolm's land. Either way, in this period, Murray starts to really kick off and claim itself to be independent. Oh, right. So it starts to be problematic. What it was before, we don't know, but at this point, it's definitely being a bit of a problem. Kicking off and trying to be independent or kicking off and trying to be top dog of everyone? Well, again, that's not entirely clear. If if Cumbria, Strathclyde, seems to have favoured Team Blue... So we had Malcolm hanging out there before. Oh, yeah. Cullen of Team Red was killed in a hall burning. There. Yeah. So if Team Blue had perhaps got friends in Strathclyde, Team Red, now Team Purple, have probably got friends in Murray. Right. So it seems that Murray aren't friendly with Malcolm II and Team Blue. And they sound a lot more powerful than Cumbria. Yeah, so in fact, Team Blue, Malcolm I, Duff and Kenneth II were all actually killed in Murray. Oh, right. So that's three of Team Blue's monarchs. So they must have been aware of this separation. If you know they weren't gonna, it, that point won't have evaded them that mm. all three of those people yeah. died. So it may be that when Malcolm had that early defeat in 1006, where he didn't capture Durham, yeah, his stock may have fallen, and so people in Murray think, ah, this guy's weak. We can have a go. We mm. can have a go at him. Mm. So we've got Murray, a powerful rival kingdom. Yeah, and it seems like they're going to be a threat. We've also got people in Team Purple who might be a bit of a threat. Botty and... K- Gilgam game. Gilgam game. Yeah. So, we really have what can only be described as Game of Thrones stuff from now on. It really is, Because Malcolm wants his grandson Duncan to succeed. Duncan would obviously be younger than a lot of these people. What does he think of it all? We don't know what Duncan thinks, but what Malcolm thinks is that really the only way you can be absolutely sure that none of these people are going to stop Duncan becoming king is if you kill all of these people. Yeah, it's a great tactic. So basically, a bloodbath ensues. <laughs> Option three. <laughs> kill everybody in the entire world. Um, why is he so hit up on Duncan being king? Why can't he just... Well, this is his eldest grandson. He wants it to be within his own family line. He's his father's his son. Family, it? It's quite distant, though. It's his cousin's sons, and he did kill yeah. said cousin. Yeah. Probably the uh, Gilcom gain of Team Purple killed his brother Dungle. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to be on Christmas. So, obviously. you know, it's awkward. Mm-hmm. It is awkward. Now, this Gilcom game seems to disappear from view after killing Dungle. So it's probably fair to assume that Malcolm may well have dispatched him yeah. sometime afterwards. 1-0 Malcolm. 1-0 Malcolm. Now, in 1020, the ruler of Murray, we mentioned this chap called Finlay, mm. he is murdered. 2-0? 
Not by Malcolm, oh. but by his own nephews. Own goal, two two nil. Own goal. His own nephews kill uh, kill Finlay. Why? Well, this is where we need to introduce the Murray family oh, tree. Oh We've got some repeated names. Oh, again. Okay. So Finlay is killed in 1020 mm. by the sons of his brother Malbricht. So these two chaps are called Malcolm and oh, Gilcom. Goodness me. So. Malcolm of Murray, mm-hmm. separate to Malcolm II, takes over in 1020. He is now ruling Murray. Okay, so Finley dead, Malcolm in, killed by his nephew, fine. Exactly. Now, he is ruling Murray until 1029, mm-hmm. at which point this Gilcom gain of Murray takes over. But that's fine, because it just means different person in charge of Murray called Gilcom gain. Exactly. Not the other Gilcom gain. Team Purple has still got Boiter. Yeah, Botty. Botty. Now, he has a daughter called Gruok, and he does a little bit of dynastic matchmaking. So he marries, his daughter Gruok of Team Purple marries Gilcomgain of Murray. Yeah. And they have a son called Lulluk. So Lulluk, therefore, is descended from the rulers of Murray and a rival line of the rulers of Scotland. Uh, team Purple instead of Malcolm. Exactly. Oh, so he really is the proper... So that's a proper threat to Duncan becoming king, because yeah. we've got the people in Murray who are a big threat, Team Purple are a big threat, you've united. So yeah. those two enemies are now joined forces in marriage and produced a son. And you've got t- Malcolm of Team Blue versus now this person that's married up Team Purple and Murray. Yeah. <sighs> he sounds like a powerful chap. So in 1032, obviously Gilcom Gain is murdered. Not the chap we just talked about. The chap we just talked oh. about who marries Gurok. Right. So he has now been murdered. The rule of Murray has been killed. So he's now left this little baby that's united both trees. Well, no, because he's murdered either by Malcolm for strategic purposes. Sounds sensible. By Macbeth for oh. revenge because obviously he killed Macbeth's father. Yeah. Or a combination of the two. So Malcolm perhaps saying to Macbeth, hey, do you mind just killing off this guy? He's going to do us both a favour. Yeah. Which would particularly make sense if Malcolm was his grandson. It really would. Because then he'd have Macbeth in charge of Murray, Duncan in charge of Scotland, Thorfinn in charge of the Viking stuff, and everything's good. Everything's fine. But presumably, Macbeth and Malcolm would both want to kill off Luluk. Presumably they would, but unfortunately for Malcolm, things don't quite work out that way. Mm. He apparently then, Malcolm, kills off uh, a grandson of Boiter, not Lulluk, but another one. Mm-hmm. So he really is, you know, taking out all the men, mm-hmm. basically apart from Boiter, he's killed off pretty much everybody else in Team Purple. How is he killing these people? Poisonous? I don't know men? if it's assassinations, if it's in battle, if it's just... Oh, I know what it is. Mm. It's the old fire and brimstone statue business. <laughs> he's got all these elaborate statues <laughs> all he's over the Cairngorms. He invites them all to the uh, medieval equivalent of Centre Park, Statue <laughs> <Yeah>. Land. <laughs> so mm. actually, everything looks great. Brilliant. Until Macbeth mm-hmm. marries Gruach. Who is the Team Purpley? She is Team Purple. She is the widow of Gilcomgain, who Macbeth potentially killed. Uh-huh. She's the mother of Lulluk, and Macbeth decides to become Lulluk's protector. Oh. And then, in 1034, the 25th of November, Malcolm II dies. Oh. So, so he's left it, I mean, utterly confused. Mm. Brilliant. I mean, I don't know why he got his destroyer name. He was, uh, some suggest that he was wounded in an ambush 
um, in Garms, i.e. in Murray. Oh, yeah. Although apparently he was victorious in the ambush but died of wounds later on. Mm. Equally, he was said to have been about 80 years old by this point. Yeah. But Malcolm is dead. The reign is over. Okay. Let's see how he gets on when we review him. Battleliness! Well, he does some battling. He does. He, I mean, uh, he does more assassinations, though, mm. I'd say. But he does do some battling as well. Those two. We lost one, one, one. Well, let's not also forget how he got the throne in the first place. Because uh, yeah. he had to fight Kenneth III. And he then challenges him to this showdown winner-takes-all battle. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Hey, so that's... he effectively says, come on if you're hard enough. Yeah, and wins it. And wins the battle. And probably kills, because it's just a small, sort of, their main supporters. He mm. probably does fight Kenneth III and kill him. Yeah, they sort of form a circle. Yeah. Um, and he wins the Battle of Montsevillard and he kills the previous king to take the throne. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Now, there's also a suggestion that um, very early on in his reign, there was a Viking raid in uh, Mortlach, which uh, ironically is in the Murray coast. And so according, once more, to John of Forden, mm. about the first few days after his coronation, a Norwegian army arrived with a large fleet in the north and made a long stay there, stripping the country. But it was destroyed by him in a night attack, so that few save the sailors that escaped that disastrous battle to bring the tidings to the rest at home. He only lost 30 of his men. These are, they do sound quite small skirmishes, don't they? Mm. Uh, the... the... We're used to, by the end of the uh, previous series, talking about huge numbers, obviously, the yeah. First World War, but or even <laughs> Battle of Bosworth. Mm. You know, the big armies. Yeah, tens of thousands. So, well, it's one of those, on one hand, yeah, it's not a big, exciting battle. Though on the other hand, previous Scottish monarchs have been killed in these skirmishes. So yeah. it's yeah, it's still, if you're actually in those battles... You know, yeah, as dangerous. I if there's a Viking coming at you with a sword, you think, yeah. well, it counts as a battle for me. <laughs> Um, now, some have criticised him for failing to check the sort of southward progress of the Vikings in this period, but of course he does make that marriage alliance yeah. with Sigurd and then gets his grandson mm. installed as ruler. So he does, you know, he does a pretty good job with the Vikings. It's really in England that most of the Viking action's going on in this period. Yes, it's pretty good. You check. Most significant is the Battle of Carham in 1018. This is the one he won. This is the one he wins. Um, so as he said, he tried to assert himself previously um, at Durham, but had suffered defeat at Uhtred, but then when Uhtred got kicked out, he's got his own chance, and Canute's still busy. Opportunity. Mm. He was joined by Owen of Strathclyde, or Cumbria, right. this sort of sub-kingdom mm. on the southwest of Scotland. Now, the Saxon decided that rather than letting them come further south, that they would advance to meet them before they crossed the uh, Chariot Hills, this sort of mountain range kind of on the mm. border, sort of Northumberland. Um, and Malcolm enjoys a great victory. He defeats them. The decision to fight at the border may have been a bit costly for the English ruler because this meant that he couldn't retreat and gather more troops. He only had the people that he got at the time. Right, yeah. So he may have been a little bit stretched. Mm. Either way, Malcolm wins a great victory. Um, the disaster for the English was said to have been heralded by a comet, which the Saxons <laughs> often seem to see when yeah. things go wrong. There's one in the Bay of Tapestry, isn't there? Yeah, Bishop uh, Eldon of Durham died soon afterwards. Uh, and the scribe Simeon of Durham said that almost the whole people, including their nobility, between the Tweed and the Tees, were slain. That's a lot of people, isn't it? That's a lot of people. That's it wasn't quite as many as that. That's the population of Newcastle and Sunderland. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, now, this is often seen as cementing Lothian as Scottish territory, making the borders permanent, hugely important victory. But, mm. as you said earlier, they did technically already have that territory. 
Now, it's probable that actually his interventions in Durham, as we said, Durham's very important because it's got St Cuthbert and his bones and his relics. Mm. Now, when Athelstan had stormed up to Scotland and done a bit of an invasion, he'd stopped along the way to give gifts to St Cuthbert when he was at uh, Chester Street. So there's a sense that this idea of somebody coming up and giving gifts like this mm. to important religious sites is a sign of you being the person in charge, you're the overlord. Right. So after Carum, Malcolm does this, he gives bestows gifts to the churches. Oh, right, and, that, and so the giving of um, Gift, yeah. gi- gifts is um, a useful pointer to show his intentions. Yeah. Shows that he's saying, I'm the top dog, I'm in charge. And that was at Durham. Yeah. So we might say that although it's a big victory, it shows how strong Malcolm is, it shows his ambition that he's Mm. pushing further south. Yeah. But ultimately he is put in this place by Canute, he doesn't gain this territory. So how important is the battle? He does gain the territory, doesn't he? It stays his. Lothian stays his, but he doesn't capture Durham and that area. He also, though, does have pretty good dominance of Scotland itself. Yes. So he's been bossing it around generally. He's strong enough that he's actually looking to expand into mm. southern, into England, rather than just worrying about his own borders. Yeah. Well, it's true, but I do get the feeling that perhaps he should have spent less time Elsewhere. bossing it and yeah. more time in the bedroom doing a bit scandalous Well, stuff. you know, maybe he did and it just didn't, mm, just you know. didn't work. I'm sure Henry VIII put in the Exactly. Time, really. I'm sure he'd, <laughs> sure he'd sympathise. Um, but he's got other big points, and one of them is the fact that um, Owen of Cumbria who was with him at Carum, seems to have been killed in that battle. Who was Owen of Cumbria? Oh, yeah, yeah, King yeah, of yeah, Cumbria. Yeah. And it's suggested that he maybe is the last of the line and that thus Malcolm basically takes over Cumbria yeah. Strathclyde. So he probably brings that even more into his orbit than it was before. That's pretty good, then. So that's pretty good. No, ha- Oh, hang on. Any suggestion that perhaps... Probably not, but you know, <laughs> quite sure. I'm always on the hunt. With Thorfinn, of course, he's got this dominance over the Viking territories. Yes. Which is all quite important. Um, it's said that Sigurd gave Thorfinn into Malcolm's care when he went off to get killed in the Battle of Clontarf in 1014. Mm. Then Malcolm ensures that Thorfinn succeeds to be Earl of Orkney and rules all of those sorts of territories. Yeah, securing it all. Basically. Securing it all, but also it probably implies, therefore, that Malcolm is seen as being sort of Thorfinn's overlord. Yeah. He's the dominant Party, yeah. so that the Vikings are effectively acknowledging his. Oh, true. Dominance. So an attack on him is an attack on Malcolm. They don't do it exactly. And it's even said that um, Thorfinn apparently refused to acknowledge um, King Olaf in Norway um, to acknowledge his superiority to him because he says, "I'm already an earl of the King of Scots and his vassal." Oh right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So he really he knows his place then. Mm. Now we had Murray causing all sorts of rebellions, yeah. but most of them all end up being dead, possibly with Malcolm's influence a little bit. Sounds likely. And if Macbeth is his grandson, yeah, then that means he's got Cumbria sorted. He's got the Northern Viking a bit sorted, and he's kind of got an ally in Murray as well. Mm. So Irish chroniclers actually describe him as the Ardry Aldan, i.e., the High King of Scotland. Yeah, I'd say was that. I mean. So even He's, if there are other sub-kings, they're all junior to him. They all seem to know it as well. Yeah. Okay. Right. There are a lot of ticks. There is... Yeah. But there okay. are some... There are some un- downsides. There are some crosses. Firstly, of course, Durham in yeah. 1006, where he has this king's raid to try and demonstrate his extent, uh, his influence, his power, but he gets sent packing. Mm. And um, according to the Annals of Ulster, a battle between the men of Alpa and the Saxons, and it was a defeat of the Alpanians, and a great many of their nobles were left dead. 
I wish they gave more detail. I mean, I well, the De Obsessioni Dalnelmi <laughs> does give more detail. They say that local women were paid in cattle to wash the heads of the prettiest Scottish dead, braid their hair before displaying them on stakes outside of the city. Wow. That is properly grim, isn't it? So Malcolm really is quite lucky that he doesn't have any other immediate rival than in this period, or else actually this defeat could have really yeah. undermined his yeah. whole reign and lost him support. Yeah, quite. There is also this submission to Canute. Understandable, though, that. But well, it is, it is understandable. Canute, very, very powerful, mm. most powerful ruler of the time. So, you know, realistically, you're not going to defeat him. No. But um, how much did he submit to Canute? Because some sources suggest more than others. Oh, like an overlord thing. Sigvat the poet <laughs> said, Very prominent kings have brought their heads to Canute all the way south from the middle of Fife, a purchase of peace. Uh, King Olaf II of Norway in 1025, this is before Canute took over Norway, it has now come about that Canute rules over Denmark and over England, and he has also now subjected, subjugated to himself a large part of Scotland. So, but that implies two things. Not only that um, that um, Malcolm uh, sort of bowed mm. to Canute. Canute, but also that only large parts, not all of Scotland, that actually Malcolm wasn't in charge of all of Scotland in the first place, so maybe he's mm. suggesting that Murray is mm. not his. It's separate, etc. On the other hand, um, Rodolphus Glaber, who sort of did this history of Canute, um, suggested that Malcolm, powerful in resources and arms, and, what was most efficacious, very Christian in faith indeed, and when he knew that Canute audaciously sought to invade his kingdom, he collected his nation's whole army and resisted him strongly so that he should not succeed. Mm. So he's saying that actually Malcolm fights Canute off and basically forces him to come to terms because he can't conquer Scotland. Uh, that doesn't, everyone else doesn't seem to agree with that, though. Well, in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle said, in this year King Canute went to Rome, and in the same year, although it was almost certainly after that, uh. he went to Scotland, and the Scots king submitted to him, and two other kings, which is, as I've said, Macbeth and Earmach, and became his man. But he adhered to that for only a little while. Who did it here to it? Malcolm. Malcolm yeah. So that's suggesting they made the peace, made their agreements, Canute went down south, had other things to worry about, and then Malcolm probably starts doing little raids and messing around again. Okay. However, there's one other source which we need to take into account. This is a letter to uh, the Pope, um, Pope Boniface VIII, um, describing this period. It said, In the 15th year of the aforesaid Canute, Scotland being in rebellion, the same Canute led an expedition there, and with little trouble subdued Malcolm, the King of Scotland, and the same Malcolm was made subject to him. And this letter was written to the Pope in 1301 by King Edward I of ah. England, justifying why he deserved to be in control That's of Scotland, because Malcolm submits to Canute, ergo, King Edward I, I deserve yeah. to be submitted to as well. Well, I, I obviously agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> this and changes everything. This changes everything. And also, um, uh, he <clears> says <throat> he's right, with very little bother. He turned up with an army and didn't have to fight. Mm. Well done, Edward. Not sure what for, but well done. Mm. So we've got a lot of battleiness there to consider, lots of ups and downs and yeah. murky ground. What do you think? There's a lot of battleness there, but it's also mm. very... Every, it's, everything is slightly nuanced, isn't it? Mm. It's slightly tempered and big, you know, big points for taking the crown in the first place. Yeah, had to do it in battle. Had to do it in battle. Whatever the outcome of... What, however it came about, mm. and whether how much, however much he submitted to Canute, border secured. Um, 
I'm not going big points. Mm. I feel five is probably appropriate. We, I mean, he's got he's got actual battles and victories. That's to his true. Name, he does. We can say he won the battle of this and he won the battle of that. Yeah, which and recently we've only been having skirmishes and. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to push up to a six. Mm. I'm going to push up to a six. Yeah, because I think there's going to be bigger stuff to come. Mm. I want somewhere to go, and it was mm. and <clears> because <throat> it's a bit, bit hazy in places. Mm. He had some nice nice victories, but some losses. But overall positive, a six. I'm going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to give him uh, a seven, okay. I think. Because, yes, he does have those victories. He does have to win the crown. He does have to... Have, he has that victory at Carham. He does dominate Scotland and, mm. you know, killing off all of his rivals. And let's mm. not remember that... Let's not forget, rather, he's about 50 when he becomes king. Yeah. So he's doing <laughs> all of this true. into yeah. about 80 years old. Mm. So he's fighting battles in his 60s and 70s. Yeah. That's pretty hard going. It's pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to give him a 7, which is a 13 for battliness. Scandal! Well, I mean, we refer back to his epithet, the Destroyer. There's a lot of people he's bumping off. So he definitely kills uh, Boyd's grandson in 1033. Probably was in some way behind Gilcom Gain of Murray's death in 1032, mm-hmm. if not directly involved. There was another Gilcom Gain in Scotland that disappears that he may mm-hmm. well have um, seen to a terminal end um, and indeed we do have a little bit of detail about the Murray the Murray Gilcom Gain um, who was killed in 1032 according to the Annals of Ulster he was burned together with Ooh. 50 people oh that's horrible so I mean there's, there's hall burnings and then there's you know just burning penthouse burnings I mean yeah. he, he takes a lot of them out there wow I mean that's um Maybe he didn't mean to burn all 50, but he knew that he was in one of them. He knew one of them was there, yeah. There was a lot of collateral damage from Malcolm. So if we imagine every time he has to bump somebody off, there's going to be collateral damage. It's like using a nuke to to, to assassinate someone. (laughs) Be absolutely sure. Let's just blow up the whole mountain and then we're definitely sure. Oh dear. And let's not forget that he did, of course, kill his predecessor. Mm. to get the throne and possibly his predecessor's son he wasn't shy in doing this was he 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 definitely was up for a bit of of, uh, violence and even in an age which is violent he is noted as a particularly ruthless monarch yeah yeah. and with that name as well if we can if we think that the the name destroyer Mm. is because he is destroyer of lives yes, exactly. <laughs> on an individual basis yes. not like destroyer of, of uh, armies yeah. but precise yes. strikes yeah that's or m- moderately precise <laughs> yeah it's horrible um, no bedroom antics or anything like that but I mean mm. he really is all just about putting swords into people oi oi <laughs> <laughs> god dear um, uh, <clears throat> yeah so a scandal score. Uh, it's, all, it's all murder, but there's quite a lot of it. Five? No, hang on. We haven't actually... Have we had a serial killer as a king? Well, before? I mean, he's probably getting... I mean, I suppose Henry VIII in a certain... Uh, yeah, but it seems to be... Judicial. Much, yeah, it was yeah. much more sanctioned. Or at least those, <laughs> like, ooh, did did Richard actually kill the princes? Mm, but, you mean. know, that was a big thing. Yeah. This, he's just going around and everyone knows, oh, that's what he does. Yeah. This is his hobby. He's the destroyer. He's the destroyer of lives. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of quite... Uh, and I apologise to any Russians listening, but a Russian state approach to enemies. <laughs> yes. Um so on that basis, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm I'm persuading myself. <laughs> I'm going for a six. Yeah, um, yeah, I think I'm probably going with a six as well. You mm. know, it, it misses the 
the variety that we look it for. It does, but it, it's a scandal. But brutal. he really did that murdering business <laughs> yeah. very, very well. He didn't have any kids. He wasn't having any sex with nuns or any sex, as far as we're <laughs> aware. <laughs> but what he did do was plot murderous, horrible, evil acts. Oh, he didn't just plot. He, uh... Yeah, well, yeah, that's absolutely right. So that's a 12 for scandal. Mm. Subjectivity. Well, surprisingly, he does have some... Uh, Nice things that apparently he did. He was uh, renowned as a religious benefactor. Right. Uh, John of uh, Fawndon said, In the seventh year of his reign, Malcolm, thinking over the manifold blessings continually bestowed upon him by God, pondered anxiously in his mind what he should give him in return. Give God? Yes. What did he give him? Well, taking God's advice, (laughs) uh, Malcolm established a new episcopal see at Mortlach, where he defeated the Vikings. Yeah. Um, and Bishop Bain was appointed by the Pope himself right. to the position, so it's mm. quite an important thing. He gave royal revenues from uh, Biffy in Buchan to a small monastic community nearby Old Deer. And according to the Chronicle of the Kings of Scots in 1018, after he had that victory at Carham, Malcolm, Kenneth's son, fought a great battle at Carham. He also distributed many offerings, both to the clergy and to churches, on that day. So he's just going around <clears> giving <throat> gifts away. Yeah. That's subjectivity, because I suppose it's they become cultural centres. And yeah, and, you know, looking after the church, it's showing yeah. that he's not just all about the killing, he's also about... He's all about the killing. I mean, he's all about the killing, <laughs> but he's kind of paying in for yeah. his conscience with yeah. gifts to church. All right, OK. And he does have a good reputation at the time as a strong and effective leader. So in 1034, when he dies, the annals of Tiganach say, Malcolm, Kenneth's son, the King of Scotland, the honour of all the West of Europe died. OK, so quite, he's quite yeah. he's seen as being quite an effective king, and mm. and you know he's there for quite a long time as well. So although he's killing lots of people, it's a form of stability. Yeah, I can see that. But when I lift this card off, and mm. you will see Rex fans when I um, when you see the picture on the web on Facebook that uh, he's got a piece of paper. It's not peace in our time. Yes. I thought it was going to be laws or great subjectivity. Justice. And yeah, it's just a list of people he's it's killing that list, day. It's a kill list, isn't it, basically? Yeah. It's, that's his little black book. And he's going, uh, what was your name, sir? Roberts. Let me just have a... No, no, you're not on this. How can I help? Yeah. <laughs> the decision to make Duncan a successor does seem to have flared up that whole dynastic crisis yeah. again, both with the purple team and with uh, Murray. Um, though, to be fair, Duncan does succeed him without immediate opposition so spoiler alert uh, well next week but so he does <laughs> succeed in that sense yeah the grandson succeeds so all this killing it wasn't in vain no, I'm sure they'll all be glad he did it effectively yeah. that's one thing we can be absolutely sure of well it, there's but... not enough there's not enough subjectivity in there for that for a decent amount of time set up a bishop and nah. I mean would you want to be a subject to Malcolm II no because he'd probably kill you yeah, I mean, I can't see how... Even I'm... if you didn't offend him, if you were within a mile of the oh, person he wanted yeah. to kill. He might nuke me. It's a bit like Lancelot in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, just runs around just criminally yeah. killing everybody. Yeah. I reckon I can't see how I go the one for a bishop, yeah. so to speak. <laughs> for a bishop. <laughs> okay. um, I'm going to give him two for stability and effective rule. Which I think is important in this period. You yeah. know, it doesn't descend into civil war. It doesn't true. suffer serious invasion. He... No, I shall give him a three. I'll give yes. him a three for effective rule. Because we hadn't actually talked to that about that when we discuss- when we were summarising subjectivity, mm-hmm. how he did play things well. He did marry into the Vikings, yeah. um, and he did 
Yeah, he did. So he, and married into the uh, Murray family. Mm. I got up to two on that basis then. So he's rocketed up to a five for subjectivity. Mm. From, a, from a potential three there. Mm. Longevity. Well, you're asking how long he's king for. So from 1005 to uh, 1034, mm. and we have the exact date, so it's 29.67 years. 29 years? Mm. That's not nearly enough subjectivity then. Ah. Mm. <laughs> Well, I can't go back now. Um, which gives him a score for longevity of 10.29. Is that really good, actually? But that's the second longest yeah. reign we've had thus far. Mm. So, who's, who's first at the moment? Constantine II with 43 years. Oh, yeah. Dynasty, not the program. Well, it's debatable, mm. as with all these things, how many daughters he actually has. Mm. There were potentially three. Mm. As you said, the first one that gives him Duncan, the second one that gives him Thorfinn, mm. and then is there a third one that gives him... Macbeth is the third one actually the second one or is actually that link not really there at all is that just a falsification but we have to kind of guess in this period we're being generous to previous ones where there might have been three so we're going to give them a three which is a score of 6.67 average Hmm. but it must be said that because the throne now uh, the line now passes through daughters there is no more male alpine Succession yeah. there, so he is actually the last Alpin. Right. So technically, this is the end of the Alpin dynasty, which was fraught. Fraught, but it lasted a good couple of hundred it years. Is. Yeah. Anyway, that gives him a total score of forty-six point nine six. But we, of course, have to answer that final question from mm. Malcolm II: Does he have that certain something, that great achievement, that lasting legacy, that star quality that we call? Rex Factor! Now, we've got an email on this, which I'll read out now. It's from Malcolm Parks. Oh, he's going to be a bit... So this was after the Malcolm the First episode. He says, Hi, guys. Knowing absolutely nothing about my royal namesakes, I was still a bit gutted that Malcolm the First didn't get the Rex Factor, though I do agree with your verdict. I've got my fingers crossed that a later Malcolm manages to clinch it. With that in mind, which address should I post cake-shaped bribes to? <laughs> Can I give my address? So, obviously, in Malcolm's favour... We've mm. got the fact that he wins the throne through battle. He has that big victory at Karim. He has all of that dynastic conflict that's been going on, and he comes out on top mm. and then kills off all these rivals to ensure his grandson yeah. succeeds. Yeah. Just quite impressive that he's sort of gone that far down the line yeah. of a grandson and secured it, and secured it, mm. and that he's potentially about eighty when he dies. And so he's an old man throughout his entire reign, and doesn't lose it. Yeah, he doesn't, doesn't lose it. Yeah, he doesn't die in battle as as so many of the past three have all been killed yeah. by rivals. Mm. This is him dying, you know. Yeah. And, and okay, it's not as secure as having a son that was old enough, but you know, spoiler alert, it does work. Yeah. Mm. Um halfway through this episode I was thinking definitely no, but I'm I'm coming around I don't particularly like his character, mm. but He's got the chops, hasn't he? He's done a pretty good job. I suppose, that, I mean, against him, he does fail if he's trying to annex Bernicia from Durham. He doesn't quite pull that off, though he's up against Canute. He's against the most powerful person, perhaps in Europe, aside from the Holy Roman Emperor. Mm. Certainly in, in the area. Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't fall from the challenge. Mm. He does accept it and, and nearly, nearly make war with him. Or, and maybe... If he fails to annex Benicia, mm. could I think he's savvy enough, given his assassinations and his alliances, <laughs> that maybe 
he it was like negotiating. He overstated his demand to yeah. actually settle <laughs> on on the land that was grey. I suppose one problem we've got is a lot of the Scottish monarchs have nothing to go on. So then when we do have one that's good and does a pretty decent job, it's such a contrast to the other ones that we think, oh, this is amazing, given the Rex factor. Uh, Does he have something that kind of makes him really stand out? Well, can I just throw this thought into the ring? Mm. I think also, Mm. though though that point is very valid, and there have been a lot of crummy ones... Mm. That yeah, so it will make the good ones stand out. I think there's also a tendency for people to think, and us to think as well, mm. that the Rex factor should be given to the goodies. Mm. And I think <laughs> you, if you're going to create a pantheon of, of Rex factor winners, there's got to be the baddies in there too. You've got to have mm. a whole. You've got to have the spectrum. And this guy, the Destroyer. Yeah. I mean, this card isn't doing justice, but he could be wearing an eye patch, have a scar on the cheek, be you know, he could be the archetypal Rex Factor winning bad good good bad king. I'm sticking up for the bad guy here. <laughs> he'd be he'd be there saying, standing on the top of this pile of bodies that he killed, yes, ticking them off, going, what? What more could I? What more? Can, I can't. Even, I can't do the accent. What more can I do? <laughs> These chaps didn't even know why they're dead, but I killed them. Well, I think. On top of that pile of bodies, I'd have to say yes. Yeah, he he is a tricky one. I was wondering all through start at the start doing him. I was thinking, yeah, he's definitely he's a definite yes. Yeah, and I think it's unfortunate almost that we're getting to this sort of thing of like a couple of bad ones. Rex Factor, bad yeah. one. It's almost yeah, yeah. too much. There isn't that middle ground of somebody who just does pretty well but doesn't have yeah. the star quality. But then Malcolm the First was like that. It was effective, but he kind of died a bit too soon. Yeah, to achieve anything. It was Malcolm the Second? That's a long reign. Yeah. And he killed off a lot of people at the start, people in the middle and at the end. Yeah. And he, remember, he's an old man for the entire yeah. reign as well when he's doing yeah, this. Yeah, older than the young, what other ones are when they die when he starts. Yeah. And I think he does deserve the Rex Factor. I think as so. As you say, he is, he's a bad man. Yeah. And he's a bad man that will stand out for that reason. Yeah. He is the Rex Factor of really brutal men. And, though he and does, though that, it is a successful reign. In yeah. Sense it's long and he it's maintains exactly. it. Exactly. And, yeah. It's kind of conflicted. It feels weird to say this, but yes. Yes, it's a yes for Malcolm II. Somehow or other, he gets it. (laughs) Yes, we have swords at our necks at this point, which is why we have to say that. So we have given Malcolm II the Rex Factor, but if you disagree, you can Mm. get in touch with us. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at RexFactorPod. Like us on Facebook and join in the discussions there. You can email us, RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. And you can go onto WordPress, uh, so that's RexFactor.wordpress.com. Read the blogs and you can also complete polls, which will just ask you straight yes, no, or Mm. maybe, do you think he deserves the RexFactor or not? Mm. You can make a one-off donation via PayPal. Yes. Where you'll find the links on RexFactor.wordpress.com. Thank you very much to Charles Canerity, who... Has donations Charlie, last thank time. you very much. And you can also enjoy crowdfunding. You yes. can be our patron okay. and join the Rex Factor Privy Council yeah, by making a monthly donation to the podcast. Become part of the Privy Council of Rex Factor, I say. Yeah, and we've got lots of new stuff there now, so we put some new goals on. We've got new rewards. Yes. So sort of $1 will get you a mention of the podcast, mm-hmm. $2 will read something out, $5 you'll get a mug when available. Not Ten, yet available. Not yet. Yeah. $10 will do a blog and a subject of your choice. Mm. And $15 a month we will actually uh, do a podcast episode, special episode of the subject of your choosing. There you go. 
lots of reasons. Now, we've got an exciting uh, thing for you to try and get donations for. Mm-hmm. If we get up to uh, $75 pledged, then Ali will do penance for his decision on Edgar the Peaceable, and he will row a representative of Edgar on some water, and we'll have a video which we'll share with all of you. Yeah. Now, since setting that up, we've actually already had quite a few donations. Yeah. Um, so we've joined the council, our Mark Jackson... Uh, Arise, Sir Mark. PCYBPDF, no username that was a bit clearer than that, but thank you. Cameron Brown, <laughs> Stephen Payne, Jamie Highway, Asen Rudiani and Mike McNamara. Thank you to all of those people. Consequently, we are 99.72% of the way to raising the money to get the video of Ali rowing oh, a good piece of it. I just didn't deserve it, and I don't deserve this, but... So one more uh, pledger. Please, and we'll don't have play. that video. Don't give us any money. Thank you to all of those lovely people for donating. Thank you for everybody who contacts us. Please do get in touch. Let us know what you think. Yes, yeah, and it's really great to chat to you all on Facebook, so keep that up. And next time, we will be doing a name that people will actually, I think, start to be recognising now, Duncan. Yes, well, I mean, I know someone called Duncan. Indeed. Yeah. Maybe it's him. Oh. Find out next time. Cheerio! A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free.